Hey everybody, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in to all the details, characters, places, things of that galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac, and I'm joined by my fellow Jedi biographer, Ross. Mac, as always, great to be back here today. We are going to talk about one of my absolute favorite arcs from all... All of the Clone Wars, Ooh. the Umbara arc, General Pong Krell, a uh, Jedi Master, a General of the Republic, leading the fight against the terrible Separatists on one of the coolest planets in all of Star Wars, maybe my favorite planet, Umbara. We're going to talk about Pong Krell. We're going to talk about, yeah, the 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 flawed Jedi Master that is Pong Krell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's not all, because we're also going to do a little bit of a tech look at Pro Droids in the Star Wars Galaxy. Droids. They're fun. They're black. They're metal. They're big. They're scary. They make cool sounds. And some are very small. And some that's true. They're not all big. Um, And then we're going to wrap it up by talking about Dagobah. Dagobah. Who doesn't like Dagobah? The swampiest planet we know of in the Star Wars galaxy. You thought the Gungans and their territories might be the swampiest? No, it's Dagobah. No, I think Dagobah is a little more mucky, a little more swampy, a little more dirty. And so we're going to talk about all of this stuff, probably too much we're going to talk about all this stuff, as we join into another episode of Star Wars in All In right after this. CT-7567, do you have a malfunction in your design? You've pulled your forces back from taking the capital city. The enemy now has control of this route. This entire operation has been compromised because of your failure. General Krell, in case you haven't noticed, Captain Rex just saved this platoon. Surely you won't fail to recognize that. Arc 5555, stand down. Sir, yes, sir. Sir, if I may address your accusation, I followed your orders, even in the face of a plan that was, in my opinion, severely flawed. A plan that cost us men, not clones, men! As sure as it is my duty to remain loyal to your command, I also have another duty to protect those men. You have a spark of tenacity, Captain. I'll give you that. I know that I don't command like the Jedi you're used to serving. Certainly not like General Skywalker. But I have my way. It may be difficult, but these are difficult times. And it's proven effective. I suppose your loyalty to your men is to be commended. They seem to admire this. That's important to an effective commander. All right, Captain Rex. Your opinion has been noted. Dismissed. I think he almost complimented you. Ah, it's hard to tell. Incoming! The Umbaras must have regrouped for a counterattack. Everyone, we must hold this position! You think General Krell still intends on taking the capital using this strategy? I don't know. I'll get back to you on that if we survive this battle. You know, you don't see a lot of Jedis with forearms, two lightsabers, and four lightsaber blades. No, it doesn't happen often. No. It doesn't happen often. I mean, you know, we've, we've got... How many how many people can hold that many lightsabers at one time? We've got Grievous. Yeah. Grievous. 
and Grievous. Um, I think that's it. I doubt they're the only forearm species, but they may be one of the only ones we really see. The only one we see hold a lightsaber. Uh, that that's for sure. Especially, yeah, especially in any semblance of like canon. We we are (laughs) we are talking about Pong Krell. We are talking about Pong Krell, and we're talking about Pong Krell because he is one of the most interesting characters I think in all of the Clone Wars. Certainly one of the most interesting Jedi characters that we get to see outside of our main. You know, a couple of Anakin, Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, Mace, Yoda. Um, besides those guys who get the you know the most time in the Clone Wars and the most development, Pong Krell probably gets the best character arc of any Jedi in the show. Um, yeah. You know, outside no, of that no, main no, no, group no. thing, i I think the biggest thing about it is he has an arc, whereas most of our Jedi characters are, to be honest, props. Yeah. You know, they are Quinlan be- Vosh, you're... Um, Plo Koon, you know, you, you we're seeing these characters, but normally it's for an episode at a time, you know, one story well, at a time. Well, like, for example, I'll use an example of someone who weaves through Clone Wars, Kit Fisto, everyone's favorite smiling mm-hmm. Jedi. <laughs> yes. Um, that's his character. That's his character. Yeah. He's a good boy Jedi. He smiles a lot. He yeah. good. He works well underwater. Yeah. And that's it. We don't really have an arc for him. Yes. Most of these characters are sort of set before the Clone Wars begins. Yes. And their story just ends with them being murdered at Order sixty six. <laughs> Unfortunately, and, very true. Yes. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. Like that's no, perfectly that's the story. Fine. That's and, <laughs> and the Jedi have always been stoic characters. They're yeah. not particularly like dynamic. Um, Agreed. And that's why I think Pong Krell sticks in so many people's heads. So this is the Siege of um- Umbara is this sort of, is it four? It's it four. is. It's four episodes, yeah, which is a little bit different than your traditional Clone Wars arc. Most are two or three. Yeah, so we have this four-episode uh, arc um, essentially establishing this particularly brutal war because it's on this extremely dark planet. There's a lot of fog of war. There's a lot mm-hmm. of... Not fully understanding it. Um, one of the videos I saw in research here was just talking about like the siege of uh, Amvara is probably our gargantuan battle. You just can't see it. <laughs> like just the idea of like yeah. because of the oppressive environment of this planet, like it's really hard to tell all what's going on, which is going to figure pretty importantly into Pon Krell's story. Um, but I just want to say that this is from Clone Wars, uh, season four. Thank you. As I yeah, said. no problem. Season four, episodes seven through nine. So the first episode, episode seven, is called Darkness on Umbara. And that's probably where we should start. Sure. Okay. So we open up on this, well, a battle, a battle of the Clone Wars, believe it or not. In the Clone Wars show, we're opening up with <gasps> Battle in the Clone Wars. And so the whole idea of the story here is that Anakin is leading the 501st attacking on Ambara and you know he's doing his thing he's up there he, he's fighting with Rex you know he's leading the charge he's taking out all of these uh these space looking men and the Ambarans man they have well you know we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about them today <laughs> because this is going to be its whole own topic eventually on its own but they have a great look they have a yeah. great vibe they have great tech so they're like these Martian men they they look kind of like almost just off human a little bit they have like these mm-hmm. pale white faces uh, actually almost a little bit like Dr. Vindy from uh, Blue Shadow Virus. You know, they almost look like him. Not quite. Yeah. They don't have the same eyes, but a little bit of the same structure in their face. And they wear these, like, helmets with this, like, that gives them, like, a green shade across their face. Yeah. So they're very, like, spacemen looking. And then their tech, well, first off, they live on this dark planet that basically glows neon. 
everything on the planet has some like well, cool lights sticking out of it. Well, I think the best way to put it is you're on this kind of misty black yeah. planet. It's it's like perpetual night, and mm-hmm. the only real light on the planet is the bioluminescent like plants yeah. and just all this um, environmental luminescence that's yeah. happening. Yeah, there's no sun. There's no direct source of light. And all of their tech has this same kind of natural bright glow to it as well, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. So they have these giant tanks and these awesome spaceships. And they're really taking advantage of ray shielding in a way that we don't see a lot of other mm-hmm. enemies do. You know, the Separatists, they're mostly relying on thick armor, whereas right. the Umbarans, you know, their, their spaceships don't even have cockpits. They just get surrounded by a ray shield and hope nothing breaks it. Right. And again, this is ray shielding, which is the heavier duty shielding compared to normal uh, stuff. This is the yeah. stuff that uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan get caught up in, in the invisible hand in episode three when they say they're smarter than this, but uh, they're obviously not. <laughs> yes, exactly right. So just to give you an idea, these Umbarans, man, they're not happy. They've joined the Separatists. They're not happy the Republic is here fighting on their planet, trying to take it, you know, because it's strategically important. So they're fighting back. Right? Feel mm-hmm. good? It makes sense? We have yeah, the right no, spot? That's... All right, great. Right. So about 10 minutes into the episode, after we've seen some action with Anakin in the 501st, a dropship shows up and Pong Krell disembarks. Now, Pong Krell is a Jedi Knight. He's a Besalisk, which uh, is, if I'm not mistaken, the same species as Dexter Jetster yep. from mm-hmm. Dex's Diner, which is just a ton of fun, right? So just imagine uh, a slightly more athletic <laughs> Dexter cool. uh, getting off a dropship. Yeah, they've kind of got these like kind of wide, like frog-like mouth. They sort of got these armor plates instead of hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that we'd already seen was they're fairly bulky creatures, yeah. and they also tend to be pretty tall with these four powerful arms and Krell who's again been at the gym a lot more than Dexter um we see the fact that he is eight feet tall would you say he's big he's really tall (laughs) yeah I wonder does he have an official height give me one second here 2.36 meters so that's like seven over seven feet tall yeah 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 that's tall yeah he's 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 a tall boy so and and I think one of the things that that's kind of cutting about him is he looks like a military general and has the like air of a military general, right? I think this is one of the more militaristically kind of like Jedi we've seen so far. Someone who like, I think the Clone Wars, much like with Anakin, like, hey, we're warriors. That's not who we are. Well, some of the Jedi were ready, really ready for that. Yes, <laughs> he has that feel for sure. Um, you know that that it's not that same renegade feel of like a Quinlan Vos or anyone like that. Because it's, he even has a big speech here at the moment of, I do things by the book, and that's why I'm so successful. And there are these little moments early on where you hear clones like, oh, that's General Krell, you know, he's got one of the best records in all the Republic. Mm -hmm. And then we come to learn later that one of the reasons he has the best record is because he also sacrifices the most clones. He he just, you know, throws them out like they're cannon fodder and just overwhelms his opponent, sure, but... He's losing resources. Best record, highest attrition rate. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So he has this moment where, you know, I I do things by the book, and he gives a big speech to Rex about how I'm not Skywalker, and this is going to be a different army now, and we're going to go, and we're going to take back the capital, right? Mm 
Mm-hmm. And he does have a little bit of a hero moment here too, where they you know the clones are walking through this this dark kind of forest area, and one of them gets attacked by this local animal, this kind of almost like Venus flytrap type thing. It's got all these yeah. octopus uh, you know tentacles uh, out, you know, and if you step on one, it's gonna grab you and it's gonna pull you into its mouth. Again, something something maybe from the Sarlacc family, just you know, uh, or, or <laughs> yeah. the Raptar, just like a mouth with tentacles. Yes, 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 yeah. It is almost like a Raptar in, in its own way, huh? Because it does have that tentacle that comes out of its mouth too, which I, I'm a fan of. Uh, so anyway, a clone gets picked up by this thing, and it's getting swung around through the air, screaming all over. And <laughs> Pongrel jumps up, revealing his uh, double bladed lightsaber. And, uh, you know, saves the clone. But then he, la- he lands on the ground and his comment is, all right, does anyone else want to stop and play with the animals? Yeah. He's just like pissed off that he had to save this clone's life. Which is, yeah, again, which again, very much starts cutting a, who is this guy? Because <laughs> we're not used to that. We are used to the very friendly nature of the Jedi mm-hmm. and their sort of uh, camaraderie. And this is especially, I think, tough for the guys of the Fighting 501st because they're essentially on loan to him. Exactly, yes. The only reason Anakin is no longer leading them and the only reason Krell is here is because Krell says, hey, they need you back on Coruscant, Skywalker. I'm here to take over for you. Right. And Anakin is like, no, no. I'm not leaving Rex. I'm not leaving the 501st. That's not happening. But it does. And Krell's like, at least for this three-episode arc, you need to be gone. <laughs> now, my question here, and we'll talk about this more as we go, but is Krell doing, like, is Krell setting this up, like, sending Anakin away on purpose? Or is it really the council needing Anakin Let, back? Let's get to that as once we get more to what sort of goes okay, down Fair here. enough, fair enough. So... After 12 hours straight of marching, Rex tries to convince Krell to let them take a break. And no, no, no. You know, Krell says, other battalions are counting on our support. We can't stop now. These men are, you know, dragging themselves through this brutal terrain where they're Mm -hmm. constantly in danger of getting shot at and killed. And Krell is making them march for 12 hours straight without a single stop. And so far, we're cutting a fairly common uh, kind of soldier trope. This is a person who holds himself to... An insanely unreasonable standard, and everyone around him must come to at least that perfection. (laughs) Yes, I mean exactly right, exactly right. That's what that's what you feel at first. I think you know he is just kind of that. I will not lose. I am so brazen and so brash that nothing that the enemy can throw at me will stop us because I have clones and I'm just going to keep throwing them at the enemy. Right, right, and. He leads, well, not leads, because he watches from afar. He doesn't actually get down into the trenches and fight with his clones. But from a safe ridge, far away, far away from the battle, he sends his clones into a full frontal assault, right? Rex has a better plan. He says, no, we shouldn't do that. We should just go and, you know, fight. Overwhelming odds. 1876, just stand in a field and shoot at each other. That's what he uh, wants. Almost, yeah. Yeah, I mean, right? Um, So... Rex retreats as his forces start to get blown away, and Krell is not happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not happy at all, right? So that's where the first episode ends, is basically with Bunkel getting mad at Rex for retreating. And I think this episode sort of sets up the fact of, like, we're not 100%. Like, we're, we're with Rex because Rex is the character we've been following the whole time. But it does seem that 
is Rex in the wrong? The whole episodes deal with like loyalty and the clones mm-hmm. and their relationships and how they interface with the Jedi and that being changed in this episode as you have Rex who's used to having a fairly wide latitude and trust from his general not having that anymore. No, not at all. Yeah, Rex is used to a a symbiotic relationship. He he's right. used to the give and the take. He's used to having a sounding board for his ideas and being appreciated and being listened to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is not that is, that is not, not Pong Girl's approach. No, not at all. All right. So we reach episode two of this arc. This is episode eight of season four, The General. Mm-hmm. Great name. And this is where we start to get a little bit of anger from the clones. You know, they start to disagree. They're just saying, hey, he's going to get us killed. And mm-hmm. Rex is like, well, I, I raised my concerns. You know, I, I did what I could. And basically now the troops are kind of giving Rex a little bit of attitude because he's just letting them march to their death, basically. Right. Now, even uh, Rex, you know, obviously he knows that Krell's plans are suicide, but because he wants to do another full frontal assault, he wants to just basically hammer it, shove them down the throats of the enemy until it overwhelms them. Exactly. And this is where Fives tells Rex, and by the way, Fives is back here on loan as an ARC trooper. Um, so obviously we know that he is not normally uh, part of this little uh, this little band of battlers here. Yeah, but we, we, we again, we touch on some of the Clone Wars car- clones we've been playing with because in these episodes we see obviously Rex, we see uh, uh, Fives comes in, uh, Top, Jesse, uh, and a new character Dogma becomes fairly important as we go on. So that's kind of our cast other than just... And other clones. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, let's see. Does anything else happen? This this episode is more, again, about, you know, seeing General Krell and uh, seeing the way that he aggravates his clones, basically. You know, this episode gives us uh, the information. This is uh, Jesse again. Or, I'm sorry, this is Fives again. Saying, you know, he's got the highest casualty numbers among the Republic. Yes, yeah. he has a ton of great victories under his belt. But he's only accomplishing that because he is literally letting all of his clones die. Right. Because he just sees them as a resource. There's no understanding of of their personhood. And I think it's really good because uh, I think a lot of people have sort of marked these four episodes as sort of like a Vietnam analog Mm -hmm. for uh, a lot of what the American view of like the Vietnam War is in a modern context because we have a lot of. The clones going, what the heck are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Should we trust this guy? I mean, he does get results, but that results comes at our body bags and yeah. like just the complex, dark nature of a war. And when these aired, it was especially palatable because while we had had some darkness in the show before, this is like the first time we're just hanging with the clones and having them question, to be honest, not just their role, but like their existence. Like, yeah. We're soldiers. We were born born and bred to die. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but it, it shouldn't be just A to B. Like, we should have a life and function and be respected as beings in between yeah. <laughs> being born and dying. And I don't remember exactly who it is that says it to Rex, but one of the lines that, you know, is, is said to Rex by another one of his uh, subordinate clothes is basically, you know, oh, do you actually care or is that just what you were programmed to think? Ooh. You know? Yeah. And, and, and it's just this moment of... Even though we're talking about this Jedi character as our topic for this episode, it's uh, this is one of the best episodes for Rex too. 
for yeah. getting not you know when I say episode I mean arc all four of these episodes but one of the best stories for getting into Rex's head of who he is as a character this arc is kind of where I think his character shifts and evolves um and becomes sort of the Rex we know later on in Rebels and all that yeah this is I think where that character really becomes independent mm-hmm and I think it's great. I, I think it's one of the things that makes these episodes so good. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Krell, of course, orders them in to another unwinnable situation, right? Another just, hey, go out there and shoot. And Rex instead comes up with another plan to steal fighters from the enemy. But yep. Krell is pissed that he tried to come up with a plan on his own. He said, I can't waste resources on a, you know these cockamamie ideas. That's not going to happen in this army. Like, I can't waste resources on good plans. I can only waste resources on my plans. <laughs> that's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly what it is. He, he's basically telling Rex, no, those two soldiers, only two, that you want to send and try and sneak onto enemy property, no, 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 we need them. There'll be a hole in the line of Operation Human Shield if I send them on your cockamamie <laughs> save people plan. <laughs> Now, look, exactly. we're spelling it out kind of thick here, but, like, Pong Crow comes off as just very, it's not even arrogant. It's just very, my method works. And that's yeah. that's it. That's He just has no room for negotiation or conversation. It's not just that he's a jerk or anything yeah. like that. It really is just, no, I'm a general, I have results, and don't overstep your bounds. Just, I get results. Yeah. Shut up and get in the line of fire and die for me. Yeah, the way I kind of look at it is essentially... You know, when you when you compare Anakin to uh, to Master Krell here, you know, Anakin is a leader. He's out there on the front lines with his troops getting stuff done. Yes. Pong Krell is a manager sitting back in the office and letting everybody else do the work for him. Right. You know, and an army needs both. Right. A war might need both to win and function. But take everything else out of it for a minute. You're not gaining the admiration or the respect of your troops. You're not gaining what. You're not giving them what they need to be successful. If Pong Crow wants the distance from killing his own soldiers, he just should have been in the Navy. <laughs> I mean, you're not. <laughs> That's an interesting way to look at like, it. You're not him wrong. and Yularen could have have could deal with each other a lot better. <laughs> well, Pong Crow doesn't fit in a ship. That, That's the issue. <laughs> that must be the I, issue. You know what, though? He fits great on the bridge of a Star Destroyer with. Both of his sets of hands folded behind his back, yes, he's judging got things. Plenty of room there. He's got plenty of room on the command deck. All <laughs> right. So this ends episode three, essentially. Um, and now we're on to, or I'm sorry, episode two. Now we're on to the third yeah. episode, Plan of Descent. Yeah, and now. this is where things get complicated. <laughs> it is complicated. So they have successfully taken the capital. Mm-hmm. which was their goal, this sort of really cool, like, tower base. So if you just imagine, it, it's basically just, you know, just imagine a circle of land, and in the middle there's this giant command tower, like a skyscraper. Mm-hmm. And then all around that, there's a few short buildings, you know, command barracks and things like that. But it, it's mostly just an energy shield mm-hmm. and a tower, and that's it. It's not a very, you know, it's not like a city. It's not like a big establishment, right? No, and it, I mean, yeah, it, it, and again, we're seeing the same sort of Umbaran technology again, using shields and stuff to sort of like make up for structure, and it's just, it, yeah, it doesn't feel as big as it should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we should also point out here that um, 
Rex's soldiers, it was uh, Jesse and Fives, yeah. were successful in infiltrating the enemy base, stealing ships, and coming to save the crew. That's how episode two ends. Yes. And in episode three, they're dealing with the fallout of that. So basically what happens is that, you know, they're trying to figure out, hey, Obi-Wan needs their help. Obi-Wan is off leading the 212th on a different area of the planet, you know, trying to trying to take land, trying to win this war on this planet. And Rex comes up with a plan to save lives because, of course, Krell is, you know, just saying, hey, let's just go kill him. Let's just let's just run over. What if we just marched forward in straight lines? Yeah, that's what he wants. And Rex comes up with a better plan of, no, let's go destroy their dropship. Let's send some of our troopers in the enemy starfighters up to, you know, destroy their resources. Basically, instead, we can win the war by essentially just cutting them off at the source. Yeah, like supplies. Yeah, exactly. But Krell shoots it down. No, no, I need all my resources here on the planet. General Kenobi is counting on us. Can't be wasting our time on these hopes and dreams. Right. That's basically where he's Which, again, is a huge... um, Which it's starting after three episodes. We're starting to, like, kind of lose faith in that because we're like, but Rex is making really good ideas, sir. Um, Yeah. And we've been used to the adventure story style uh, army. We have not really had this sort of just, well, this is the chain of command and you will follow the chain of command. Like right. we haven't had a whole lot of that clone wars, which I think is one of the reasons these kind of stick out a little bit is just someone actually running the army by the book. Yes. Um, I mean, that's literally the first thing we hear him say is I do things by the book. Right. And, and the book is poorly written it's definitely the book that the imperials will use later who also really love the plan of just then bodies at it till the problem solved i mean clearly mr krell the the book is like not that old you didn't have a book before the war started so it must have been written recently i bet so there's still time to change it come on the book by wolf (laughs) yularen yes uh okay so this is a good chance for us to talk about a character we haven't mentioned much so we know rex who's the leader of this division of clones we know uh jesse who's here and is you know sort of like a right hand man to rex in a lot of ways yeah and then we got fives who's on loan from the arc troopers and then we have another character dogma Mm -hmm. aptly named dogma is um, a character who basically every time pong crawl says something he's there to go yep I, i agree we By the book. Yeah, Let's do, do it. <laughs> He's basically the clone who's like, I am doing what I believe is right. I am following the chain of command. He is our general. And frankly, while we are made to sort of um, dislike Dogma, you know, that's the idea is we're not meant to like these characters based on everything we see from them. He is the one doing the right thing. He is the one following the orders. Uh, he is the one listening to his general. Well, yeah, and 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 Dogma's from the the two twelve, so I think he's served under Krell up to this point, right? No, he's from the five hundred first, right? From the five hundred first, got the same blue armor. Uh, that's true. Yeah, I don't think we've seen the two twelfth yet. Yeah, other than like briefly. Yeah, I'm getting confused. Yeah, but Dogma's not a character. I don't think we've ever met before. No, no, because I, I would remember his bad a fat face tattoo. He does. <laughs> he's got this he like, does. I don't know. It looks like. The spaceship from Arrival tattooed on his face. I don't really know how to describe <laughs> it. It's, it's okay. like this like weird like holy geometric shape. Oh jeez, I don't really know. But I mean, but anyway, that's Dogma. Dogma's a yes man. Yeah, and and but and, not in the fun Jim Carrey way. More in like the get well, like his way. name implies, Dogma. He is yeah. here to yeah. he no. Like his it's name just, he believes he in the substance of of like he's a true believer in his, if you will, programming. He, he's like. 
I'm a soldier. My job is to follow orders. That's what I've yeah. been designed for. That's what I live for. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> and all you guys who yeah. are, are questioning it, like, you can't. The chain of command is clear. <laughs> I mean, that's it, right? He's basically trying to convince the others, like, no, 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 guys. This this guy's our leader. We have to listen to him. And they're all just kind of giving him the side and like, no dogma. Come like, on, man. Like, at the earlier in the week, maybe, dude, but, like, have you seen this guy? <laughs> <laughs> So um, it, it's pretty good because, you know, Dogma, he kind of goes away for a while, leaves him alone. And uh, Fives and Jesse start to practice flying the enemy ships. You know, they're, they're trying to practice. They're trying to understand them. And they end up blowing a hole in the, in the side of the barracks or, you know, the, the, where the ships are stored and um, causing all this mayhem and destruction. And, of course... You know, Krell comes down. He's all pissed off. We know what's going on. And they're like, uh, weapons malfunction, sir. Uh, you know, we, we were trying to get it under control. It was an enemy booby trap. And if we hadn't acted quickly, it could have blown up the whole base. And of course, they're we're all fine. like, You're, we're all fine here. Yeah, it was definitely one of those moments. And it was great. And then after Pong Krell, of course, he doesn't believe them, but he's like, well, I don't have any evidence. So, you know, he walks away and. I've got bigger fish to fry anyway. I mean, that's basically what it is, yes. And then after, you know, the whole barracks is asleep, Jesse and Five sneak off, take the enemy ships, and go and successfully blow up the capital ship in orbit. All well and good, right? Until they arrive back on the ground and Pong Pell yeah. tells them, hey, you're going to be court-martialed and executed because you disobeyed my orders. Which is, the chain of command is clear. They They did. Mm-hmm. They did. <gasps> They did. That's very true. And of course, this leaves Rex kind of dumbstruck. Like, no, no, any anything they did, that's on me. Like, you know, d- don't blame them. Blame me. This is my fault. And of course, Fives is like, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's well, not true. yeah, it's very much like it was Rex's plan, but they're the two that executed it. Yeah. So that's why they're going to get court-martialed. Yeah, yeah. Rex right now is not on the firing line. And we should also say, well, uh, there have been a few moments where Ponkrell is like, okay, Captain. Point taken. Point noted. Like, you know, there are a few little moments where up to this point, like, we're not sure. Are we supposed to be afraid of Ponkrell? Are we supposed to just believe he's trying to do his job? You know, there are a few moments where we do see him bend a little bit to Rex's will. Right. So that helps set up, I think, what's about to happen. Yeah. And I will say... When you say court-martial, I think they say court-martial. Court-martial is not really that. This is a military tribunal to execute them. This is this is a treason trial. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's interesting is, and I think they they I think they sort of say this or spell this out is this is only happening because this is Pong Krell's wish. You know, a court-martial yeah. is understandable, but that is something that you go in front of a literal military court for, and you yeah you know, you, you plead your case and all that. Pong Krell's basically saying. No, that they did it. It's official. I say so. And he's judged yeah. during an execution. That, that's why know? I mean, like, it's not. <laughs> this is not. We're not going to have the 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 Clone Wars jag come down and advocate for exactly yeah. why these guys were in their rights. Like, no, it, it it is just we're using military shorthand here. But the whole point is like they are just being considered treason, and they're about to be shot in the back because they they didn't follow orders. Exactly. Exactly. Now this is where this episode essentially ends. And we get to the last episode of the arc called Carnage of Krell. So mm-hmm. if that doesn't give you an idea of where we're headed here. but Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is where the character of Krell really goes from just a standing off in the distance, watching his army fight, 
giving out orders that are getting people killed, you know, disagreeing with Rex. So far, that's really all we've seen him do. Right. And a brief amount of fighting, right? But now we've got some more coming up. And here at the beginning of the episode, he's got this great little bit where he gives this speech to Rex. You know, I seen it before. Some clones are just defective. Uh, are just effective. You know, I'm just going to execute them now. Yeah. And that's where Rex realizes, oh, no, th this isn't going to work. Th this is not, you know, this Wait is not minute. what we're meant for. This is not so two how clones are meant to die. Two plus two does not equal five. <laughs> that's right. And as all this is about to happen, instead of the execution taking place, mm -hmm. they get a message saying, hey, the 212th needs help. They've been that's overrun. And their armor has been stolen, right? The enemy is now dressed as the 212th. They've taken their armor and their weapons to try and ambush the 501st. And thank God the 212th was able to get a message out first to the 501st to warn them of this treachery. Right. And and we've seen these kind of tactics before. The environs are not too far off from the size of humanoids. And we've also seen the commando droids do this trick as well. Yes. That's right. We have seen commando droids do it very successfully. Mm -hmm. Good point. Um, so Rex, you know, leads his army out into the into the bog to fight. And they start shooting at clones, and all of these clones are dying. Yeah, uh, and in this dark mist and stuff, they start just catching them, and they're like, well, I guess they're in their armor, and they're aiming at us, so take them out. Yeah, and so a whole battle scene takes place, and it's a really good battle scene, too. Uh, this whole episode is filled, or this whole arc is filled with great battles. Uh, and then Rex realizes, you know, he sees a dead clone laying on the ground in the 212th armor, and he sees a little bit of skin sticking out from underneath the helmet. So he goes over, he rips the helmet off, and he realizes that they're fighting against other clones. The people they're shooting at and killing are other clones. They're the actual 212th. So he rips his helmet off. He runs out into the middle of the battlefield and yells, you know, stop shooting, stop shooting. Take, take your helmets off. Show, show them that we're clones. Yeah, show them we're all clones. And, you know, some people stop shooting, but, bullet, you know, lasers are still flying. And he runs over and he grabs, I think it's Cody, and he just grabs mm -hmm. him around the back and basically says, no, stop, stop. And at this point, everybody stops shooting. And there's this moment of like, oh, God. We've been killing ourselves. Oh, God. You know, it's just like this moment of how did this happen? How are we going to, how, how is this possible? And they come to the conclusion that the only way this is possible is if Crown knew. Right. And set them up to do this. Right. So Krell's motives have gotten very, very dark. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so now they're basically taking it back to the airbase they've been working out of to kind of confront Krell about all this. Yeah, Rex basically says, well, we're going to do to him what he was going to do to us. We're going to arrest him for treason. Right. Because that's that's what this was. Seems to be what happened here. And so, of course, at this point, all of the men are like, yep, on Rex's side. Like, it's an instantaneous thing of like, right. oh, yeah, okay, we've just been waiting for this. We're ready. Like, you know, here we are now. And of course, you know, it, we should point out they have a legitimate reason. Oh, yeah, right? sure. They have evidence of treason. <laughs> yes. So they there's this great, great, great scene where all of these troops and they go to the they go to the prison first. They let Fives and Jesse out. They give them weapons and they all take this awesome lift up to this like observation deck where Krell is. Mm -hmm. And they come out and they encircle him. And he's like, what's happening, Captain? And, and and I just want to say, yeah. for eeriness, even though we, the audience, are with Rex and say this Jedi deserves it, it has some haunting, purposeful touchstones of Order 66. Yes, Again, absolutely. of a bunch of Clone Wars, 
uh, uh, clone, uh, clone troops encircling a Jedi in a very, well, if we open fire, we will just execute you. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> it's a nice touchstone of even though we think this is right, it's feeling wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, spot on, because how often can a clone say, oh, I've got to go against the Jedi? Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't happen, right? So they all surround them, and they all start to sort of tighten the noose, close in a little bit on Krell, and Krell basically looks at them and goes, okay, so I guess it's uh, it's treason on your part then, and mm-hmm. he just takes all four of his arms, and, yep. well, actually, is this where he gives his little, uh... no, that's later. No, that's I want to make sure I don't miss that, it's <laughs> quite important. So he, he takes, like, all four of his arms, and he pushes them outward, you know, sending a force blast out in all directions, knocking back all of the clones. It looks great. Yes. It uh, looks great. And he basically jumps out of the window, jumps out of this base, and makes his way into the Umbaran wilderness. A really great moment visually, uh, really satisfying moment with all the sound effects, like all the glass shattering and stuff, and really, really just well, well designed here. I love it. And also setting up just exactly how oomph this guy has he's a very powerful being yeah because again having that four-way force push and and i mean this is this is contemporary with but like it almost has a force unleashed level of that's what push on everything yeah that's what i was thinking too he is a he pushes back like a dozen troops at once yeah yeah it's very very cool um Okay, so he escapes into the forest, and all of the troops head after him. At this point, they're like, we, we got to get this guy. we, yeah. we got to stop this guy from escaping. And so they head into the forest, and he is just slaughtering clones. Because yeah. this guy, as we said earlier, effectively has four lightsabers that he can wield with incredible skill. So he's got uh, two double-bladed sabers, one completely green, both blades green, one, one completely, completely blue. blue. And this guy is just, he is just taking him out. No clones can phase him. Um, and, you know, you don't really see any shots hit him, but you even get the idea, like, if this guy took a couple blaster bolts, he'd probably survive, like, because he's just so big and so tanky. Uh, again, if he was a good guy, this would be a very impressive scene of, like, oh, my gosh, who's this guy? I want to know more about him. But, like, he's just terrifying because we're seeing it from the clone perspective. And all of this is happening like in almost complete darkness and all Mm -hmm. you're seeing is the light from his lightsaber blades and the laser bolts. And it's just, it's a great scene in animation. It's it's a great scene for this sort of evil Jedi that we're seeing now. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But they do come up with a plan. They lure him towards one of those uh, Venus flytrap type plants. We should have looked up what those are called. They've got to have a name. Oh, look at it. But he lures them towards one of those plants, gets him to step on one of the, you know, the tentacle arms of the of the monster, and it basically pulls him up and starts swinging Krell through the air. And they're shooting at him. He's still deflecting laser blasts away. You know, they're still not getting him. And eventually. He manages to cut himself free. But as Krell falls to the ground and lands and is about to get up and start causing more mayhem, they shoot him with a stun blast and incapacitate him. And so now the clones have successfully captured their general. Correct. They they have him arrested. Yeah. So they manage to, you know, take him alive. They, they didn't have to kill him, even though he's killed so many. You know, at this point, he's responsible for deaths of hundreds of their brothers here just in these last couple days, but mm-hmm. thousands and thousands over the last few years. So, you know, they, they, they have every reason to want to just kill him right then and there, but they managed to take him alive, which in the long run is probably a good thing, I would say. I think so. 
Now, they take him into the prison cell. And Rex essentially asks him, you know, why would you kill your own men? Why would you do this? And his answer is basically, because I can. Because you fell for it. Because you're inferior. Basically just showing that Rex has a complex, or not Rex, I'm sorry, Ponkrell has a complex with, with these clones. He basically is viewing them as lesser, as a second class, as as lower than him. And... The, the mask is cracked, basically, yeah. here. He's basically just showing his actual seething contempt for the clones. Yes. He's like, you get the idea of, like, I'd rather have battle droids, things that don't question how useless, you know, how they are nothing but a walking blaster. Absolutely. And the clones go, how, how could you? You're, you're a Jedi. You can't do this. And he goes, I'm no longer naive enough to be a Jedi. A new power is rising. I've foreseen it. The Jedi are going to lose this war, and the Republic will be ripped apart from the inside. I will rule as part of the new order. I serve only my side. And basically, this is where we learn Krell's goal. He he does no longer consider himself a Jedi. He is basically a uninformed double agent working from the inside. Yeah, yeah. because there's a part where Rick goes, is like, you just want to be Dooku's pawn. He's like, I will be Dooku's apprentice. Yes, but not yet. So it makes it clear that he is not operating for the Separatists directly. But, but he wants to. He wants to, yes. He is literally like trying to audition for the Separatists. And so this puts everything else into, of course, into perspective. You know, he has killed the most troops out of anybody in the Republic. Well, he's doing that to benefit the Separatists. Mm-hmm. He is, you know, fighting, uh, pitting the 501st and the 212th against each other, right? He is trying to help the Separatists keep Ambara and trying to make it more difficult. So even if the Republic keeps it, the Umbarans will be able to retake it because their resources have been spent so much. And so we get the idea that this entire time that Krell's been running things, the reason he's such a brutal leader is because it's a form of sabotage. It's it's he's he's wasting resources of the Republic on purpose. Absolutely. All to just get Dooku's attention. Right. And he thinks that if he returns Umbara to Dooku's hands, this is when he can kind of finally uh, give his formal introduction and and. Asajj Ventress has already been pushed out of the picture earlier in um, last season, I believe. And so he knows there's an open vacancy for Apprentice. And he's like, (laughs) I could be that guy. Have you seen my forearms? Have you seen these sick double-bladed lightsabers? (laughs) All right. So before we talk about the very end of the episode here, there's a few things I want to talk about first. So first off, we have to assume that Pong, Krell, and Dooku knew each other. You know, Dooku didn't leave the Order that long ago. And Pong, Krell is certainly old enough. Yeah, it's something like 15 or 20 years before, like, episode two. Yeah, because it's a few years before episode one. Right. Is when um, is when Dooku leaves the Order. So it's not, you know, so it's easy, easy to believe that Ponkrell and Dooku know each other already. Right. So it stands to reason that, yes, he arrives on, you know, if the, wherever the count is, if it's on Serrano or wherever, he arrives where Count Dooku is. And basically says, hey, I've done all this for you. I've proven myself. You know, take me in. It's not like it's just a random Jedi showing up. It's a Jedi that Dooku probably knows. So that, you know, plays some credence to that. But the thing I really want to talk about here is Ponkrell is having a vision of the Republic falling, right? 
how many Jedi are going to foresee the Republic falling, but none of them can do anything about it? It's kind well, of wild. You know, we know Liam Mason Yoda have their moment of, you know, we can't use the Force anymore. There's darkness surrounding the Chancellor. There's all these things happening. You know, Anakin's having visions. Um, Ponkrell's having visions. You know, all of these people are foreseeing this terrible tragedy that's about to happen but no one is able to do anything about it or chooses to do anything about it. Or in the mm. case of Ponkrell, he does choose to do something about it, but it literally a vision turns him to the dark side, a single vision. And it's the same thing that happens to Anakin ultimately. Well, always in motion. The future is sure. What I'm trying to say is like that dread that Krell uses as fuel to justify what he's doing. I think a lot of that is, that right yeah. i think we've seen that uh there's uh, there's two sort of things i would say that we really see in um the prequel eras that talk to what we're seeing here which is one the dark side clouds everything their mm -hmm. ability to see clear pictures of the future or across space and time like they've had is muddled really really badly and characters like you know uh yoda and mace have already become slightly duplicit in like they know it's real bad. They've been around and they're like, we should be able to sense and feel and see a lot more than we have, but let's not tell anyone about it. Yeah, exactly. Right? They, they are scared for people to lose faith that the Jedi have these kind of like precognitive ways of sort mm -hmm. of predicting how things should go. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so let's just say that I'm Shakti or someone, right? Some some other Jedi, and I have a vision of feeling the Republic falling, right? My interpretation is like, that means we have to redouble our war efforts. You know, we're, we're standing on the knife edge. It could fall the other way. I'm seeing in the future a future where the Republic doesn't win, and I can't allow that, Yeah. right? Whereas Krell could see that exact same vision, feel that exact same vibe and go, oh, I got to switch sides. Yeah. This is an inevitability. Yeah. This can't be turned around. Yeah. And I'm like, and that's how I see, like, if there are a bunch of Jedi that are having that dread and feeling, I think most of them are so dedicated to the cause of the Republic and to democracy and the order that they're just going to interpret that as like fuel to try harder. Mm -hmm. Whereas Krell has already got that huge chink in his armor this kind of mean streak that he has that's just such an easy place for the dark side to just swallow him. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a turn to the dark side that we haven't seen in person, really. You know, we know Dooku left the Jedi Order and essentially becomes a dark Jedi. Well, you can't really even... I, I don't like that term so much because saying you're a, a dark Jedi or whatever, you know, people throw around the term gray Jedi doesn't really make sense because if you're a Jedi, you're a Jedi. Yeah. If you're not a Jedi, no, you're not a Jedi. No, no. The, the difference is when you become a fallen Jedi, you do not automatically pick up the Sith traditions. Oh, viewpoint. for sure. For so sure. He I think dark Jedi no are just are Jedi who have started serving the dark side, yeah. but they're still clinging to their own Jedi traditions. Like Krell here is, yeah. he still likes that robe and the cut of that and keeps wearing that. Yeah. Like, and there is a delusion in his brain of it's for the greater good. This is going to be an inevitability. I want to be on the side that can like control the galaxy. I don't think he's doing it for just ego and vanity. Mm -hmm. I think there is a sick and twisted, like this is the way it's going to go. Do you want to be part of the group that can, like, help make the galaxy stable after this horrible war? Or do you want to just 
Because let's put it this way. I don't think he sees it truly as tyranny. I think he has that Dooku vision where it's a, a sanitized version where the separatists are going to win and we're going to have a different form of government run by the separatist council or a separatist parliament. Right. And it's another republic. Right. I don't think Krell's signing up for, I want to be a dark lord of the Sith who's bringing misery, pain, and malice throughout the entire galaxy. That's probably very true, especially because you have to assume, outside of maybe the Jedi Council, how many people know Dooku is a Sith? Most people he's thinks he's the Count of Sereno leading the Separatist forces. Exactly, exactly. So it makes it, it's just... This is a very interesting turn that is, yeah. we only see this here, you know. Um, I mm. guess now that we have Dooku Jedi lost, that does give us, and we also have Dark Disciple, the Quinlan Voss book. So we, I guess we do now that I'm saying it out well, loud. Well, we're starting to see, but no, we're starting to see the, it, but we never get to see on screen this. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. So this is just a really, really interesting arc for a character, and it's great to see because, frankly, you have to imagine this might happen a few times during the Clone Wars, and it may sure. not be this exact story, but, you know, a, a Jedi's on a planet fighting a battle, and their entire army gets destroyed. Well, maybe they don't return to Coruscant. Maybe they just go off and live their life and, you know, pretend Disappear. they've died. And, you know, so this is an interesting story for a Jedi because... So many Jedi do feel cookie cutter a lot of the time. So yeah. it's great to see this here, frankly. Uh, and then let's get back to the end of the episode. So, you know, Krell, he's in the prison cell and Rex decides that he, he's going to execute him. You know, he's a traitor. He has to. It's the only safe bet because Krell basically says, you know, you got to you got to, because if you don't, the Umbarans are going to retake this base and they're going to set me free and I'm going to be right back where I was. And there's an antagonizing exactly. quality. Because I think I think Krell just basically thinks that, like, yeah, bring me out to the execution field, and that's when I can get away from you. And not not to mention, you're inferior. You don't have it in you anyway. Yes, he, he does seem very snide and snarky throughout their whole conversation. He even has a, a, a monologue to Rex about how good the power feels, right? The ability, you have control over someone. You can shoot me, I'm unarmed. You know, doesn't that power feel good? Basically saying, I mean, all it is is a dark side speech for a non-force user. Yeah. And that's really, really interesting to see. Uh, and of course, you know, Rex is kind of standing there, blaster outstretched, Ponkrell's, you know, facing away from him on his knees. And Rex is just kind of standing there contemplating, like, is this who I am? Is this who I want to be? Is this the type of soldier I am? Is this the right thing? You know, am I putting myself or are my troops in danger in another way by doing this? Is it right for a clone to kill a Jedi? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's wild. Which is delightfully ironic, uh -huh. knowing where the universe is going. Absolutely. Um, and Rex is just tortured, and, and again, Krell is just goading him, basically yes. just saying, like, you can't do it anyway. Just, just do it or walk away, you know, like. Exactly. And in that moment, Dogma grabs is it Five's blaster yeah. and just shoots him in the back. Because Dogma is the one who's getting all this pain from this general yeah. just basically denouncing the clone army the yeah. structures and stuff and so yeah. he's just like shaking holding the blaster of like like i had to do it yeah. he, he was a traitor he he was betraying us yeah and dogma feels that betrayal more than most because he was his supporter and krill even has a moment right before he shoots him of this is successful because of idiots like you dogma because clones like you are so stupid and so willing to believe i'm able to achieve what i want 
Right. And that's just like how at your last moments, you're going to insult the one person who had your back throughout this entire time. Just showing us how little Krell truly cares about the clones. Right. Even the ones who support him, right? It's not just that he had a little tuffle with Rex. You know, he really just doesn't like them at all. And Krell has, again, I think the other reason he's so arrogant and, and like, again, stupid. He, he is begging to get killed here. Oh, um, for sure. I think it's because... He has foreseen this. Like, he's like, you're not going to do anything. I, I know I'm going to become Dooku's right-hand man. I've seen it. And it's like, mm, always in future. Always in motion the future is. Um, always in future the motion is. And you got to wonder, like, again, not that Clone Wars is about bureaucracy, but, like, man, I want to see the paperwork on how they report this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting, right? And it's one of those things that, I'm sure Anakin had to go to bat for Rex even for this. Right. I'm sure Anakin had to swoop in and say, hey, if he did this, there had to be a reason. There's also a very dark part of me like thinking of like, like, Rex, what happened here? Well, Krell did this and did that. It's like, like, man, war's crazy. All right, get back to the ship. Let's get going. <laughs> Gotta get over to Christophsis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, that is the life of a clone during the Clone Wars, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, Pong is interesting because, A, it's nice to see uh, what I, I would talk about, like, sometimes these, like, species rehabilitation acts mm-hmm. where they're like, hey, yes, yeah, you've seen one member of this species, but they're not all that. Yeah. You know, we like to, like, for instance, Clone Wars does this a number of times. Like, Rhodia is a very sophisticated culture that really deeply believes in democracy. They're not all Greedo. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, true. And this is the same thing of like, hey, that kind of schlub you saw running that diner in Coruscant, like, he's not the only member of his race. They're not all <laughs> like that. Some are, some hit the gym hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. Um, And I think it also just shows, uh, to me, the most important thing about this is, yes, he's He's fall. Lots of people gravitate towards this episode because it's interesting to see a Jedi sort of enter this free fall and and kind of want to switch sides just for victory's sake. Um, but what I think this is most interesting to me is just showing how the character of the Jedi and the Republic are just being destroyed. The yeah. war itself is the teeth, the toothed gears that are crushing all these ideals that these groups held held to right jedis should not be generals and the ones who like being generals are really not good jedi anymore you know this lust for conflict this love of the glory of battle this excitement around using your lightsaber for offense is all against what jedi should want and we've seen that very clearly through anakin but it's fun to see this you know tilted all the way to to someone who gets to Anakin's conclusion long before having to suffer a whole bunch of personal tragedies to get there. I mean, let's be honest. We all know that by the end of the Clone Wars, there's only one true good Jedi left. Mm. One? Yeah, Obi-Wan. Oh, I see. I mean, Yoda's over on Dagobah. I mean, he's pretty nice. No, he failed. I mean, he did. But, well, oh. <laughs> well, Everybody failed, I'm saying, at the end. <laughs> I think Star Wars might be a little bit more about failure than some people believe. But um, but, um, but it is interesting. I mean, I think these are for, I think for a lot of folks, these, especially adult viewers, these are sort of one of the higher arcs. Mm-hmm. In that all final Wars. episode is rated 9.4 on IMDb. Yeah. One of the highest clone, especially and, for this early on. And show. I will still stand by 
especially among adult viewers who have IMDb accounts. Um, <laughs> the reason I say that is because it's really grim. It's complex and it's very it deals with a lot of moral ambiguities. In fact, one of the criticisms I saw for this episode is something that I'm like, well, it's got to be there, which is Crow kind of just doing a little bit of a bad guy speech of saying like, oh, I don't consider myself a Jedi. Like, we don't leave it in the total ambiguity of like, is he just a brutal commander? No, 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 no. He he wants to join the dark side. It's okay, kids. He's a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. To me, if you don't have that, I think it's less interesting. I do too, because I think it shows him falling and I think a fall is more important, but like I can understand that. I think a lot of people grab gravitate to these episodes because again, those, those Vietnam analogies, that kind of platoon feel Mm -hmm. of just like, or um, uh, apocalypse now vibes of just a person who's been out there long enough to get corrupted. Yeah. Well, to those people I'll say, if you like Vietnam analogies, might want to check out a new hope. I hear it's got a few. Except the Viet Cong are the good guys in that. It's very complex. Very odd. Very Um, Who knew? But again, these episodes are very interesting. Krell is interesting because it shows us another side. You know, you could see that in another universe, Rex doesn't execute some sends him to a ship. Dooku does get a hold of him. And I'm just saying, he seems like the Inquisitor, the Inquisitives, or Inquisitors... He seems like a good candidate to hang out with them. Just saying. Do you see him in black armor? He would be a great Inquisitor. I'm just sad that we never got to see him go up against Cal Kestis Master. (laughs) Because that's the fight I want to see. That would be, yes, yes. Uh, Maybe one day. Maybe in Star Wars What Ifs we'll get that. (laughs) Tales of yeah, um. So I think we'll leave Punk Girl. We've talked about the. I ended up doing more of the Umbara arc as a episode. Well, but there that's, is that makes still sense. so much Umbara stuff to talk about with all their tech. Yeah, that we will be back here because they have. I mean, it's one of the things that makes this story. If this episode was on Geonosis, it probably wouldn't be as good because it's the environment, the planet, and all of the Umbara tech that oh. makes this so darn cool. That choking darkness is all around them, uh-huh. metaphorically as well as physically. <laughs> it's it's a metaphor. <laughs> now, it would have been more of a metaphor if they would have killed Ponkrell and then all of a sudden the sun would have come up. That, mm. that would have been even more so. But yes, you're absolutely right. I completely agree. So I don't see that, but I, I could see it like getting that same thing of Anakin returning with like a Star Destroyer landing and the entire bottom of it just shooting floodlights down. Oh, that could be cool. That Well... The possibilities. Uh, but uh, pretty good stuff. And, you know, yeah. while you're talking about Umbar and tech, let's go talk about another piece of technology. That hard. It must have some sort of self-destruct mechanism. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. I know where you're going with this. You want to talk about probe droids. I do. You? Uh, probe droids are an interesting thing in Star Wars because they've been around 
since the beginning, essentially, you know, since episode five. Um, and since then, we've seen a whole lot more variations of them. Oh, yeah. And and they so the the I apologize. I'm going to keep calling it this episode because I don't have a choice. I'm going to keep calling them Viper droids, which as far as I could find in canon, that's not their name anymore. Um, no, I, I think it is. No, when I was looking at the Wikipedia, they didn't mark them as the Viper droids anymore. Well, there's generic probe droid, which just encompasses right. everything, right? But then Viper droids are a type of probe droid. They are the probe droid we see on Hoth. Yeah, and I was going to say, so this, uh, the probe droid is an important character because uh, it's the first new thing we see in Empire. We see a Star yeah. Destroyer just hanging in space, and then it's firing these things that we've never seen before. And it leads to this wonderful design. So let's talk about the Viper first, because it's the yeah. first one we see in the history of Star Wars. Yeah. Now, and, before you get into it, real quick, I'm sorry to cut you off, but... You're fine. As a child, yes. right, looking back before the internet and before resource books and all that kind of stuff, even though I did see Empire first, so this is literally one of the first things I ever saw in Star Wars was a probe droid. Okay. But then when I eventually saw A New Hope for the first time, I assumed the torture droid was also a probe droid. Oh. I assumed it was a different type of the, probe droid, but the, uh, the same thing. Whatever is the MO interrogator yeah, droid or whatever. Remember. You know what I mean, though. The one that gives Leia the big scary news. Well, it floats. Yeah, exactly. I assume, I assume the floating droids are probe droids. Exactly. Well, that was where my little five-year-old mind went to of, oh, this is just another one of those things. Except this one's got a needle instead of big pincer arms. Yeah, well, the thing that's, that makes the probe droids what they are is probe droids are surveillance and reconnaissance equipment. Yes. So when we see the Viper sort of just like float up and, you know, nah, 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 like do, yeah, make beeping noises. The thing we notice first is that this thing is an absolute generalist. It is not specialized in anything. It's got like 18,000 lenses on its head. It's got like a half a dozen arms hanging out below of it. So you've got this kind of it's like almost like a ball shaped head with all these lenses, but it's been smashed down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and then it's stuck to this more traditional, I'd say Imperial, this sort of boxy body. Um, that's also yeah. a kind of thin cylinder. Oh, what a great design. And then just hanging under these are just, like you said, these almost like they look like torture. They look like these just sort of like cutting or grasping yeah. mandibles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we never really get to see them used here, unfortunately, but it has just this, dark gray color like everything else imperial yes and for me you know as a child watching star wars and seeing this thing for the first time i'm scared of it this thing sure. is scary as heck well it's it, the best analogy is it's like a flying squid and unlike i mean again we we get flying squids in star wars but yeah. this one doesn't have the nice organics it's it's someone pounded a droid out of the like vague notion of a um squid because much like a squid it's also got one dominating glass black hollow eye yeah. that we sort of identify as ourselves as the primary eye of this thing. And, you know, it just basically starts moving around and just using every sensor suite it probably has, scanning the environment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that we should point out why these things exist in the story is because Darth Vader has sent out thousands of them across the entire galaxy mm -hmm. trying to locate where have the rebels gone since Yavin. We've lost them. Over the last couple of years, we've been searching for these rebels, and other than a few places they've popped up here and there in their comic book adventures, 
We've never been able to capture them. We've never been able to find them. And at this point, Vader is obsessed with finding Skywalker. Right. So that's why the probe droids are out there. That's, you know, why they're out there trying to find the Rebels hidden base. Yeah, he's obsessed with Skywalker because this kid blew up the Death Star. That's a huge, huge bounty on this kid's head. We we need to capture him because Mm -hmm. it's totally wrong. Not to mention, he has the last name of that famous Jedi, who I don't know personally, but I (laughs) I think that's important. He could be the son of that Jedi. I I think we should I think we should find him and bring him to me. Don't I I need to talk with him. Uh, It's very important that. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, the Emperor's at his vacation home, so don't take him there. Bring him to me. Yeah. Yeah. Don't take him to Naboo. Take him to me. (laughs) We don't need to go to Space Camp David. Just bring him right to me. So Um, we get to see a little bit more about the probe droid here. We, We know the sounds that it makes, as he says, because Han and Chewie go out to inspect it. Yeah, because they they're having meteor strikes, and so the probe droid, more than probably on other planets, successfully sort of infiltrates because they just assume it's one of the meteor strikes. But after everything that's gone wrong with like Luke and stuff, like and Wampus, because he went to investigate the strike in the first place, <laughs> yeah. Um, Han and Chewie go out and they find it, and they're like, "Oh, look, it's a probe droid," and then. Han just kind of comes up and shoots it once, and then it just makes a blaring warning noise and explodes. Yeah. Um, don't forget Chewie roars at it, too. Well, that's true. I mean, that's, what, that's why it really explodes. That's why it really explodes. So what we come to find out is the probe droids have a self-destruct mechanism, so they can't be captured and pulled for information, right? Right. And this, of course, leads Han to realize, oh, the Empire knows we're here. But that never really comes up. The reason the Empire comes to Hoth is because they have a picture of the shield generator well, that the probe droid gets. Perhaps. So one thing that gets deeper about this story as we go to our favorite resource of all of Star Wars, the certain point of view books. <laughs> uh, one of the stories is the operator of this particular Viper droid and her kind of like she works in a data center at for the Imperials and her job is to monitor all the data streams that are coming in from all of these thousands of probe droids. And we, for our story, just happen to see this one, which the probe droid doesn't even really get to see who kills it. Like it just gets itself destructed and it explodes. Uh, And we see a fun story because I like, she loves the probe droids and she has sort of this like familiar connection with them because they're her window out to the broader galaxy. She's just a middling technician in a nowhere posting and gets to see the world through these probe droids and talks about like the blankets of white that stretch on forever on Hoth. And it's a really kind of interesting thing. And it, and it also sort of ends with the fact of like, this data stream and what happened with it and like, Oh, it was self-destructed. And it's like, that's weird. I should make a note of that. And we could argue that that note is what eventually gets to like Piet, who makes a mention to Vader of like, it's small system, sir, but it does seem strange what ha- happened there. He's like, that's where they are. <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, I mean, Admiral Ozzel didn't think Admiral Ozzel's an idiot. I'm going to kill him in a few scenes. Uh, of, of course, Lord Vader. <laughs> of course, of course. Because, like, Piet took interest in it. There's something about that report that he made note of. That, you know, mm-hmm. the technicians he's talking to, he's like, oh, there might be something there. And Vader, of course, is just like, I have the force. I'm a freaking psychic. I know that's where we need to go. <laughs> Which is hard to act on the orders of, like, I have a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> but these guys have been serving under Vader long enough. They should know. Right. They, 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 know. <laughs> they know better than to question that order. They definitely yeah. follow it. Yeah, but you know what's also interesting is at this point, Vader is 
in the greater Star Wars story on a tight leash because of the failure of the Death Star. Sure. Because of the death of Tarkin. So Vader is not... He's in charge. He's in control. But he is personally feeling these feelings of, I'm on the outs with the Emperor. I need to make this right. Sure. And and you and if you read the the current canon with like the comic books yeah. and stuff, they really sell the idea of like General Tag and stuff is sort of like made more important than Vader. It's like, oh Vader, you used to be uh, one of my leaders by forces, but yeah. Yeah. He's getting the bad assignments right now. He he's not fully in the inner circle at the moment. Yeah, yeah. The Emperor is like, well, look, you're my only dark side friend. We could still be dark side friends, but like I gotta lead the the Empire with more competent hands. You know, people who don't lose my giant linchpin death weapon. Yeah. And it's very useful top-level commander of it. <laughs> Anybody seen that Krennic guy? Maybe we can put him in charge of the next one. <laughs> um, so, so, probe droids. Um, now, as a child, I had a great probe droid action figure. That was another touchstone for me. And uh, also, you know, because it had the head that would pop off. I was going to say, it had all the dangly arms that yeah. you could move around. They were on, like, ball joints. Mm-hmm. And then you got, like, the head that spins. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, when you pressed a button, it would pop yeah. like a auto-firing missile. <laughs> I wonder, you probably can't get them for list anymore, but, boy, the Black Series probe droid. Oh, my god! If you're a probe droid fan, it is gorgeous and it comes with like a like a little snowy hoth base that allows you to prop it up and it is just a beautiful beautiful that's gonna be pretty big these things are like yeah seven or eight feet tall yeah it is it's a pretty large thing it's a slightly deluxe figure but yeah the the probe droids they make a great toy is what i'm saying yeah and they also make a very scary nemesis in uh, shadows of the empire well there's a few moments going up against probe droids countless video games said probe droids are great they're (laughs) flying enemies that are not that hard to kill we could just populate them all over like Dark Forces, Jedi Knights, uh, Shadows of the Empire. They're, they're a fairly common thing for you to shoot yeah. in uh, video games. They even came back strong in uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Yes, they did. Um, and it makes sense because they seem like they're not totally disposable, but like we, we have lots of them. Um, and this is further exemplified as we keep broadening what probe droids are. So that's our only probe droid for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And then episode one comes around yeah. and we see a new one, the Dark Eye probe yes, droid. Yes, yes, yes. Maul's droids. Um, and the chance they get to shine mostly here is on Tatooine when he sends a bunch of them out um, to find Qui-Gon. Don't you find it strange that like, droids are so commonplace that people just don't take note of them at all. It's like just a car car. You're not like noticing a particular car drive past your house, but like maybe you should. Cause like the dark eyes are just floating through the marketplaces and stuff and just scanning everything. And like, mm-hmm. like it's just this mass surveillance tool running around and you're like, whatever. Yeah. No one seems to care. They assume uh Jabba's just keeping an eye on things or whatever. Sure. Sure. Some, eh, it's probably some bounty hunter. <laughs> I don't have a dead. I'm fine. <laughs> that only happens to those people. Um, but the dark eye is instrumental because it is how essentially the only reason Mole's kind of involved in the tattooing stuff is him yeah. trying to follow and understand what they're doing until he finally gets the tracking he needs to go. Oh, that's where their ship is. That's what I've been waiting for. <laughs> Excellent. Let me go kill these guys. You know, we've never gotten a uh, Black Series toy of the uh, of the Dark Eye probe droids, but I do want to point out Hot Toys makes 
really inexpensive, really cool replicas of these little guys. So if you want to get into hot toys collecting uh, without spending like 300 bucks, this is mm-hmm. a good place to start uh, some tiny little probe droids. Oh, you know what? I take it back. The first new probe droid wasn't in 99. It was 97 because there's the little one that they animated in with the stormtroopers that are running around tattooing. Like, these aren't the droids we're looking for. And there's just this little floating, like, almost, for lack of a better term, camera. Wow. I can't believe it is, but I don't remember this. Oh, yeah. No, it's in that scene. uh... And it's also in the scene where where it's knock on the door. If they don't open, move on to the next one. (laughs) Yeah. It's just this... um, For whatever reason, I can't. It's this little it. like Nerf football looking thing with like two back fins and again a giant camera eye. Uh, though those are around here too, and they're more like the dark eye where you feel. Let's put it this way: these are pro droids, as we as a modern audience would probably understand them. Of like, yes, these are little drones, like little like you know parrot, you know AR drones running around taking pictures of things. Except for they're being used for this sort of. Police work, military work. Right, 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 right. Um, and we, I'm trying to think if we see any particular other ones. This is very interesting. I'm going to have to go and watch A New Hope today. Oh, darn. Oh, no, not that. Yeah. <laughs> not that. But you have the, the probots um, is what they also got known as. Cause there is a fun history to, to them as these recon droids. Cause like you said, they were very popular, um, toys. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm trying to find a screenshot of episode four here. Uh, uh because this is like driving you nuts. Yeah. Driving me a little nuts. All right. We found it. <laughs> Um, so again, this little probe droid. Now I, I will say we found it. I can't find its actual model number. <laughs> I tried. Yeah. Um, but again, we, we found that like, again, the Imperial forces are using them at least as even on backwaters of tattooing these yeah. little recon droids. Mm-hmm. Um, though again, I feel that this is more like the, uh, Star Wars equivalent of a body cam. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I feel that this, this droid is mostly here for like, Again, later that night, that stormtrooper can rewatch the footage of like, like, oh my god, I was just repeating what that guy said. What was I doing? <laughs> Those oh, were the droids I was looking that's for. That's funny. That's funny. You know, now that I think about it, there is a story in the first from a certain point of view about that, but yeah. I don't think the probe droids are mentioned. No. It's... Oh boy, probe droids are fun. Yeah, and then I think they're a fairly uh, common thing. I'm kind of surprised. I don't think we ever see one from the First Order, which I guess there's no reason for them to show us one. But, like, I don't, I would want to think that, like, Resistance could have done it, but that's not That's a really, really good is. point. We never see a probe droid in the sequel trilogy, do we, of any kind? Yeah, I just want to see the Viper droid, but it's, like, smoothed out, and it's got, like, a gloss black finish yeah. rather than a, uh, yeah. you know, the kind of bumps and sort of matte gray metal of it. I could see that. Or a bright red one for a Sith probe droid. Oh, a Sith probe droid. I'm sure those are on one of those 10 trillion, you know, yeah. starter stories they have uh Uh, man no probe droid that's kind of i'm just going through everything in my head but no they're no probe droids yeah so bummer um 
again, probe-droids are interesting because, again, they have all this, this equipment to discover planets. You assume that probe-droids probably came out of, like, surveying equipment or something, that there's, like, a noble purpose, because other than a little tiny defense blaster, which I'm mostly accrediting to the toy, um, most of them don't have any kind of armament or anything like that. Yeah, they're just, they're cameras. They're floating security cameras meant to gather information for their masters. And admittedly, this particular probot, uh, you know, does cause the downfall of Echo Base. So, <laughs> doing its job. Thumbs up. Yeah, you know, it may cost a lot to send probe droids out to every reach, every corner of the known galaxy. But hey, it's still cheaper than sending men. I was say, this is your tax dollars being used for efficiency's sake. Yeah, not that inefficient Death Star. Whose idea was that anyway? What a colossal waste of resources. Just put that on a Star Destroyer. It would have cost taxpayers so much less money. You could buy so many freaking probe droids. For and for that, that record, I'm just saying, the Emperor eventually did do that. He's like, wait, just put it on a Star Destroyer. I should have thought of that. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. I don't think I have anything oh, more to say about probe droids. God, oh, God. Let's let's get out of this topic before I start going off on the Rise of Skywalker again. Hello, dear listener. Um, I needed to take a quick moment uh, here in the editing room to add a few notes. Uh, originally, when we talked about this topic, I think Ross and I mostly prepped to talk about the uh, uh, Viper Pro Droid uh, from the original trilogy. And uh, as such, when we started wheedling out to uh, talking about other probe droids in Star Wars, uh, I think you can kind of see that our research sort of led thin. A um, couple things I just want to note as corrections. Uh, first off, the Imperial Mark IV patrol droid is arguably not a probe droid. That's the one that we were talking about is in New Hope, the IMG-099 uh, Imperial probe droid. Uh, well, Imperial patrol or sentry droid. Uh, that's the one that was added for the special edition. Just want to add that. Uh, and then two big misses we had. Uh, one is Dio. Uh, Dio, which is an ID-10 seeker droid, uh, is the one that is used by Iden Verso in Battlefront 2. It's the little probe droid buddy that goes around uh, with her. And there's actually a whole separate thing we're going to maybe do some point is uh, seeker droids because there are also a number of that style of things used by the Inquisition and uh, other groups. And the last one I want to mention is, uh, you may have heard me sort of hunching around of like, huh, did they, I guess they never had a First Order, order Probe Droid. Uh, I'm incorrect. Uh, in the episode, The Core Problem, they introduced the First Order Probe Droid, um, which is a uh, more robust uh, sort of design instead of needing the launching pod that the original Viper Droids do. All the stuff is integrated into it and it also has a series of smaller remotes to do additional work uh and uh poe dameron and friends have to fight that off in that and its following episode so um yeah i just want to make sure that that was stated um and i hope you still enjoy the conversation and uh i hope uh this helps give some completeness to the topic all right uh on to the end of the show <laughs> Yep, that's it. Dagobah. No, I'm not going to change my mind about this. I'm not picking up any cities or technology. Massive life form readings, though. There's something alive down there. Yes, I'm sure it's perfectly safe for droids.
Christine coming here was a bad idea. I'm beginning to agree with you. Oh, two, what are we doing here? It's like... Something out of a dream. I don't know. Let's see now. There. There you go. Now all I gotta do is find this Yoda. If he even exists. It's really a strange place to find a Jedi Master. This place gives me the creeps. Still, there's something familiar about this place. I don't know. I feel like... Like we're being watched. Away, put your weapon! I mean you no harm! I am wondering, why are you here? I'm looking for someone. Looking? Found someone you have, I would say. <laughs> right. Mm. Hey. Mm. Fine, or I will help you not. I don't want your help. I want my lamp back. I'm gonna need it to get out of this slimy mud hole. Mud hole? Slimy? My home this <laughs> is! But... R2, let him have it. Fine! 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 R2! Fine. Move along, little fellow. We got a lot of work to do. No, no, no. Stay and help you, I will. Find your friend? I'm not looking for a friend. I'm looking for a Jedi Master. Jedi Master? Yoda. You seek Yoda. You know him? Take it to him, I will. Yes, yes. But now, you must eat. Come. Good food. <laughs> so you meet him in a swamp that bubbles like carbonated soda. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's obsessed with sausage links and mini mag lights. He's got a number of homes. <laughs> See our topic. Yoda's other house in previous episodes yes, of Star Wars All episode in. two, I think. Very oh, early yeah, on. Yeah, very early. Very early on, episode two, Yoda's other Deep house. Deep cuts for the Star Wars All In yeah. self-reference game. Yes. Um, it's amazing we can't even remember. Um, so today we are talking about a planet. This is weird planet. Two weeks in a row. We don't normally do planets, but we're doing oh, yeah, another fun yeah, we one. Uh, we're doing Dagobah today. Dagobah. Now, Dagobah, of course, a, a classic planet. Who doesn't love Dagobah? But one of the reasons we're talking Dagobah is because we actually have information on it that we didn't have a couple of years ago. You know, by this point, Dagobah has been worked in a little bit more to some stories that we have slightly more info. Not a lot. Won't get your hopes up too much, but we do have some information about it. Mm -hmm. So, Mac, let's talk about Yoda's exile planet, where he goes to not only commune with Gwygon to learn about the Cosmic Force sort of for the first time in the Clone Wars, right? Mm -hmm. But then where he takes his exile after losing to Sidious and after the fall of the Jedi and the Republic. 
Yeah, so Yoda falls back to Kashyyyk. He loads up this uh, specifically designed for him little spaceship, <laughs> and he's plotted a course. Uh, he's going to stay in the Outer Rim, head into the Sluice system, where he's going to make his new life on the planet Dagobah. Now, Dagobah, like most Star Wars planets, is only one terrain type, so it is a planet-wide swamp. Yes, but as we've learned since then, Dagobah has a dry and a wet season, so some of the planet for about half the year loses its swampy nature and becomes sort of a barren wasteland Mm -hmm. which is interesting you know something we haven't seen before and that i think is interesting you know it's that light and dark working in balance working in sync and you know dagobah has been shown to be a planet very powerful in force energy and force power um we even get to see it later on when kylo ren and snoke visit it so you know there's a lot of little touchstones on dagobah throughout the saga which is a ton of fun. Uh, but mostly we see it in episodes five and six when Luke goes to visit Yoda there. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot we learn about the planet. You know, we learn that there are these very shallow swamps that, uh, that again, as the year progresses, they'll drain or they'll mm-hmm, flood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and when Luke crashes down to it, we are in the, the more dank and wet Swamp, and again, the muck and mire of this planet is enough to like suck in an entire X wing <laughs> as that thing just slowly sinks into this yeah. mm-hmm. again mire. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should point out here as a good a time as any because you know we see R2 fall into the swamp. That in the certain point of view, uh, the second book, you know, the Empire Strikes Back version, Mac, we had a conversation about this because the audiobook doesn't really uh, show it, but there's just a well, great little one page comic that describes this scene. It's yes. basically the Swamp Monsters just trying to help R2 get out of the swamp. Yeah, it's the Swamp Monsters' perspective on what's going on. Yeah, and it's great. It's just a fun little comic. So if you haven't picked up Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view yet, please, please do it. It's a great book. Yeah, because in the audiobook, this, how I consumed it, it was just like, just all the sound effects. Yeah. Uh, it's just the it's just the movie with like the sound effects isolated. I'm <laughs> like, so that was interesting for me, but did they just write onomatopoeia words in the book? It's like, oh, no, it's a comic. I'm like, oh, it's a comic. That's nice. Yeah, yeah <gasps> it's a ton of fun. Something a little bit different. Um, so, you know, we see all kinds of animals, snakes and all sorts of things, uh, you know, flying and, through the swamp here. And it's kind of interesting because unlike a lot of other Star Wars planets, like, a lot of the creatures here are recognizable. Like again, like the snakes are just pythons from our world. And that seems appropriate that like, yes, of course, not all the animals have to be weirdo things. Like, sure. We still have like that bird moth thing. Bog wings, I think. Bog wings. Yeah. we, We still have alien creatures, but I think that in a lot of ways, Dagobah more so than most of the other planets feels grounded in our world. Uh, I think because one of the things that the set designers did, which I can't imagine made it a fun place to work, but like everything's alive. Yeah. There's, 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 you know, bugs and snakes and writhing everywhere. And it's just choked with all this yeah. like plant life and yeah. vines and these, these giant trees with these big canopy, you know, roots that go down into the water system. Uh, it is a, I don't think we ever see a planet as alive as Dagobah. Yeah. I, it's one of the things that's interesting you bring it up about how real it is, you know, how much work they put into bringing in, you know, Mark Hamill, there's behind the scenes footage of him literally getting bit by a snake oh. while shooting this. Like, this is very real. My question is, 
boy, in 2020, could you like, could you do that? Like those snakes? Like, I feel like that's like harmful to animals. Just letting a bunch of snakes loose in a set and be like, we'll get them in a couple of weeks when we clean up. Like Whoa. that's basically what oh. they did. They basically built a fake room, like a fake environment because yes. they built a fake floor. So, you know, Frank Oz could be below the floor puppeting Yoda. They literally, and then they just re- released a bunch of animals into it. Well, I, that's what it seems. So like here's the thing. I, I'm sure there were snake wranglers. I'm sure there's professionals that oh. are responsible for those. And yeah. I think in 2020, we'd be extra responsible with them in a way that you're probably right. In 19, in 1979, when they're making this, they're probably not as careful about yeah, like, because like, let's put it this way. I would be shocked in 2020 if we had a snake. And if Luke's not having a specific scene with a snake that could cause the snake to get frightened and bite him, it just wouldn't bite him just on set. You know, right. the Wrangler would have a lot more control on it. And and who knows? I mean, Mark, maybe Mark Hamill's like, ah, just has his finger out in front of the snake. Like, yeah, he can't bite me. I've seen this. It's like he reaches into the X-Wing engine. It's that scene when he's pulling the snake out. Oh, and a snake ended up in the X-Wing engine? Well, no, that's the scene as he's pulling it out. Remember, it's in oh, the movie. Oh, yeah. No, no, you're right. But you're there's right. behind the scenes footage of it biting <laughs> Which is like, it's well, a small snake. It's not big. It's just, and to know, be honest, whatever. he is handling it. So yeah. I could see why it would oh, go for like, sure. dude, what are you doing? Bite. Oh, for sure. But that's what I'm saying is like, he just throws the snake. <laughs> like, like I, all I'm saying is I think some animal rights people might have been upset if this so you're same thing would be CGI in... snakes now. Maybe, maybe that is kind of what Luke I'm just grabs a, a, a blue, like piece of like <laughs> rope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I was thinking like a pool noodle. <laughs> And then they just <laughs> don't worry, thing. Luke. Let, That's like we're making an anaconda sequel if it's pool noodle, noodle size. Dude, don't don't worry, worry, Mark. We're gonna CGI in the snake. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I all I just think it's something that's I've always thought about when I think about Dagobah is the way they just released animals into it. I think. Well, I, I I gotta find out more. I gotta do more digging about this specific thing because it's just mind blowing to me. Well, and and. But like you said, I, I think it's it's what makes that planet – again, to me, that's the most unique thing about Dagobah is when Yoda starts talking about the fact of, like, this place is powerful in the Force, yeah. like, you can see why. Because if life creates it, makes it grow, this place is got to be just pumping out, you know, Force energy because there's just so much stuff. Yeah. And especially when we were we were younger before some of the stories we're, we're talking about uh, came out, like – I think it was fairly easy to say, yeah, this is a planet full of the dark side. It's a very savage, a very vicious place. You know, the wildlife here is got teeth and claws because it it's hard to survive here. Yeah. And and a lot of the I think I think this is fan speculation. I don't think they ever spelled it out, but like, okay, this is a dark side planet, so if Yoda hangs out here, his his light side sort of balances the planet and is just sort of masked out. So if the Emperor is searching for him and thinking, you know, probing the galaxy through the Force to find Yoda, he won't because Yoda's sort of like cocooned He's inside blending this. blending in. Yeah. Blending in, right? He's canceling out his own, like, Force signature on this planet yeah. that has such a profound Force energy yeah, to he put it. put himself in a Faraday bag. Yeah, yeah, that, that, you're not wrong. If, yeah, he's yeah. in a Faraday cage. No yeah. electrons get it. Like, his force is able to work inside, but it can't leave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and no no force on the outside can get in. Yeah. Um, which is impressive because, you know, the only reason even Luke knows to go here is Obi-Wan, which an interesting thing is, like, I don't know why Obi-Wan knows where he is, but that's fine. <laughs> no, Obi-Wan knows because at the end of episode three, when they're talking, when they're on the tent of Eve, 
He goes. Does he say he's going to Dagobah? He just says he's going into exile. He's just going to go into. Does he say Dagobah? Wait, no. Yoda says Obi Wan and your exile on Tatooine. Oh, yeah. An assignment I have for you. I was thinking he said and my exile on Dagobah. No, but we do know that they commune through the Force throughout. Oh, the that's years. true. So thanks that's to, how he would find. Thanks out. to a certain point of view, we have a lot of more knowledge yeah. about what Obi Wan is, who Obi Wan's talking to yeah. on Force Skype yeah, calls. No, he, no, that's right. Yoda knows where Obi Wan is going. I don't think it, if if uh, Obi Wan knows that it's off screen. But through over the next 20 years, they communicate through. Oh, sure, sure. And and so, yeah, Obi-Wan sends Luke on this mission to go and find this place. We can tell that it's pretty off the beaten path. I mean, it's off one of the trade routes, according to the Star Wars galaxy, like, gazetters and stuff like that. But Hmm. for the most part, there's nothing on Dagobah you want. So no one goes there. (laughs) Um, Well, are you sure? Because according to the Star Wars Young Reader book. Oh. uh, Sorry, let me get my notes here. Sure. uh, Journey Through Space. There is... Uh, the home of the yogurt plant is Dagobah. Is it really the yogurt plant? The yogurt, oh yeah, Y-O-G-H-U-R-T. Like? The yogurt plant. Uh, like like yogurt from like Spaceballs yogurt. It grows in the trees around the dragon snake bog. Oh, that's right, they're dragon snakes. Dragon yeah. snakes are cool. Yeah. Bog so, wings, dragon snakes. <laughs> the yogurt plant. There's the also the gnarled tree, which is, you know, the primary feature. It's what Yoda's hut is built into. Sort of these yes. twisting dead trees, right? Um, and they're based on banyan trees, which I didn't which know. Which are, yeah, real. Which are real, real. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, there's also yarum seeds, which are used in outpost mix on Batu. So if you've ever been to Galaxy's Edge and you've eaten the purple and red popcorn... That's oh. made out of yarum seeds, which are apparently from Dagobah. Huh. I feel that's more Star Wars marketing than anyone in the actual galaxy far, far away wants to go to this crappy bog. I but mean, I don't know what Cookie Tugs is up to. I, you know, the best part about it is that, you know, no one asks, but like that's actually how Yoda makes an income during all of this. Uh, he, uh, he exports yarum seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cookie just comes by every yeah. once in a while. Yoda hands him off and says, you know, Keep on the download. Don't let anyone know I'm here. And it's like, <laughs> secret safe with me. Leaves. <laughs> I like that. There's also uh, on Batu on Galaxy's Edge, the, um, what is it? The Dagobah Slug Slinger or something. It's a it's one of the cocktails. Uh, so I didn't get a whole bunch of research into what makes that a Dagobah drink. But I think it's green. <laughs> that's it. It's got Dagobah slugs. So apparently Dagobah has slugs. Uh, swamp slugs. Swamp slugs, yes. Um, and one thing also that's changed in the character of Dagobah as we've gone forward is Again, that feeling that earlier fans had of, oh, this is a dark side planet, Mm -hmm. because you have the cave, right? He goes underneath the one tree into a natural cave where he faces, you know, this vision of himself as Vader. And I'm like, but what's interesting is we've sort of established as time has gone on, especially in Rebels, that like, no, this is just a thing Jedi temples have. They have a place for the dark side to dwell as a a component of balance. Yeah, yeah. The the balance of the natural world is something that Dagobah shows us really well. And frankly, it's the first time we see that in star Wars. And we kind Mm -hmm. of understand that concept of, you know, as Luke says in the last Jedi, powerful light, powerful dark, you know, living in harmony together. And it's something that I think Yoda grows to understand, Mm -hmm. but doesn't necessarily understand, you know, during a lot of his life or maybe forgets or however you want to look at it. Right. 
Yoda becomes more in tune with the dark side as he goes. You know, there's even those really great episodes in season six of the Clone Wars with Yoda confronting the dark side and, Mm -hmm. you know, confronting the evil within himself and the possibility of failure and all that. And so this is just something that Dagobah has really well. And it's a huge touchstone for us as Star Wars fans because it's, you know, Luke's first big moment with the dark side, really. Right. But. This place, in its grand scheme of things, isn't super unique or as unique as we thought it might have been at the time. I think it just represents that that Yoda, in some ways, has settled this planet and sort of has inadvertently created a temple out of it. Because there's another story, and from a certain point of view, too, Mm -hmm. where Yoda, you know, we see the cave from the cave's perspective as an entity. And it talks about how Yoda comes to see him and how Yoda is the only creature he's ever met that isn't afraid of him and how he used to come all the time, but now he only comes back sparingly. And just this really, really great story. I didn't go back and reread it before this, oh, but it's really, really awesome. So I highly recommend reading that. Uh, and then there is another time we see the cave, which is in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic. Yes. We see that a um, you know pre-Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, and Snoke travel to Dagobah to kind of... Um, finish his training you know his dark side training and um basically kylo destroys the cave you know at first he faces his master sort of a shadow version of luke and you know defeats him but then he sees his parents and the cave wants him to kill his parents and he won't so he destroys the cave instead telling snoke he was successful while he was down there yeah i did everything (laughs) did you did you complete the bonus round (laughs) yes totally don't ask questions totally I can kill my dad. I'll prove it. <laughs> what about your mom? <laughs> I already killed my dad. Wasn't that enough? Jeez. Yeah. So those are the times we see the cave. And hypothetically, that is the end of the cave on Dagobah because Kylo Ren destroys it. Yeah. And and, and again, Dagobah sort of just fades back into the background of the galaxy because, again, it, it's a place for you to go to exile where no one's going to find you. <laughs> hey, it works. It does. Is it? I don't think it's this current Battlefront 2. Is it maybe the first EA Battlefront where there's a Dagobah level? Oh, I don't know. God, I can't remember which of the four it's from. But there's a really, really fun Dagobah level on one of them. Huh. Shoot. It seems like that would be hard. It seems like you'd be hitting water, like, a lot. It's, yeah, there's a lot of, like, tricky terrain and, like, like, crevices and stuff you can seems like hopping on steps and speeder bikes is the best way to move around that planet because walking doesn't seem viable but see i don't know i don't think you could also do like speeder bikes or anything because i think the trees are so thick and like if you can fly on endor and not die somehow (laughs) fair point fair point fair point uh okay Yeah, just just the slow moving slow and steady the scooters of the repulsor world (laughs) (laughs) scooters yes um but yes this is uh i think that's all we have to say about yoda's home for yeah 20 odd years yeah it's a it's a very important planet in the the overall story and who knows maybe we'll end up back there one day time will tell
Welcome back to another end. Uh, here we are at our outro for today's episode, and I think we both have a few things to say. Mac, before we get into anything, I know you had a few corrections from the episode. A couple corrections. Um, the first one I want to mention is the Vixus. The Vixus. The Vixus is uh, that uh, that terrible fly monster. Venus, Venus flytrap fly monster on on yeah. Okay, that so, was very important to me to make sure that we knew about that. I'm glad you did. It's a very cool creation. Yeah, it it it. They're again. They are like looking yeah. at the picture when I found them. Like they are like little raptors. It's like a flat stationary raptor. Yeah. yeah, you're spot on. A ground raptor. Yeah, I mean, really, a raptor is more like a round meatball. Was it Vixus? A Vixus. Yeah, I mean, really, the Vixus came before the Raptor, both chronologically and chronologically, depending on how you want to look at it. Huh. What? Yeah. No, no, yeah. I'm just thinking about the fact of, like, yeah, no, it, it does predate it. Yeah. In every way. <laughs> In every way you can think of. <laughs> yeah. Um, fun to think about. What was your correction? I thought you had, I thought you also had another one. I thought you also said there was something else you wanted to mention. Um... Well, the one thing I do want to mention, uh, oh, it's not a correction, though. Um, okay, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, one of the corrections I wanted to add was the fact that um, when those episodes, the Umbara episodes, came yeah. out, there was, I don't want to say controversy, but there was a lot of interest around the fact that seeing that downfall over the course of a month, because four episodes is a month worth of Clone Wars releases, um, there was so much speculation between like episode three and four of that of like, is he, is he a dark side? Like, what does that mean? And one of the things that came out of it, and it's the impression that sticks with me that I didn't mention was, ah, oh man, that's how I thought Order 66 was going to go. Like, I thought this was a great example of clones learning that their generals are flawed. Yeah. They're human. They can do wrong things. Yeah. And I kind of saw this as like from this moment, this cascades through the clone army. And so when, you know, General Order 66 that the, you know, um, Jedi have overtaken and overthrown the government happens, it makes sense. The clones yeah. have seen their their master, their generals getting corrupted and hurt and broken. And I, I really enjoyed that. And I think a lot of people were feeling that vibe of, yeah, this is how it all goes sideways for the Jedi is, you know, they aren't loved um, because it also was important for, I think, a lot of fans that like, how did the Jedi get kind of vanished from the collective consciousness of the galaxy? Right, 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 right. right. Um, and nowadays we just sort of say like, well, a very heavy marketing campaign to remind you that the Jedi were evil and you shouldn't even think about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second piece of that puzzle is, I think it also is a very pronounced, um, the Jedi aren't known to norms. Norms might have seen one kind of flit through their planet during the Clone Wars, but like normals yeah. never get in contact, touchstone, or get to know Jedi. They're always out there, yeah. arms reach away. Well, to be fair, right, if you've got 10,000 Jedi spread across an entire galaxy with thousands of civilized worlds. Right. It makes sense, right? Um, they're a thing of myth, of legend. This, I mean, like, have you ever met a, oh my God, I don't know, a Navy SEAL? No. Right? Me either, but we know they exist. We know they're real. We know they're things that 
I, I don't know. They're out there. I, I don't really have anything else to say about them, but they exist, right? And it's the same type of thing. You know, you can know they're real, but then also at the same time, if your governmental leader comes out and says, hey, remember all those guys we liked before? They're bad now. Okay, maybe those they do just fade away. Well, well I guess we should kill them. Yeah, uh, don't worry. Already took care of it. Already done. Uh, second I figured it out, I murdered him for you. Yeah. That's what I'm here for, to help you out. <laughs> All right, so what else has been going on the last week? Uh, let's see. One big piece of uh, Star Wars All In news. We just hit 10,000 plays. Really? 10,000 total plays, lifetime plays. That's... Just crossed it this morning. Wow. Uh, so I wanted to uh, be the first one to tell you that, Max. I know Honors and benefits, it. all of them. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. didn't even hit two years yet. That's just... I, I, We're quite proud. So uh, thank you to everyone who listens. Very, very much appreciated. Deeply. Very much appreciated. Uh, also should tell you, over the last two weeks, uh, we have had some extra people checking in, you know, episodes a little bit higher than normal. So we thank you very, very much for that. Uh, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you like our show, we one really appreciate it. And we say mm-hmm. that and we've said it before, but also, hey, if you can tell a friend, you know, a personal recommendation on a podcast to listen to all always goes a long way. So if you have any Star Wars friends out there, uh, please send them send them a link, send them your maybe your favorite episode or two. Uh, to get them to listen. That that would be a huge help to us, and we'd greatly appreciate it. And we'd love to have some more friends to talk to. The more, the merrier. Absolutely. Uh, also, just want to point out, if the, you know if there's anything you want to uh, hear us talk about on the show or anything like that, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. You know, Star yep. Wars All In on, on Twitter, easy to find. Uh, we also have an Instagram, and not really easy to communicate on there, but we do have that if you want to, you know, communicate with us on there. I know not everyone has Twitter. I was say, tw- Twitter and Instagram, those are sort of the outlets mm-hmm. to easily find us. Um, we, uh, we've been talking about community stuff and how to build a community, and we're not very good at it. So, um, you know, reach out to us. We would love to hear yeah, from you. If, if there's um, anything feedback. you'd like to hear us discuss, we'd love to talk about it. Um, let's see. Let's see. What else? Oh, this week we had four new Black Series figures announced, kind of a uh, big out of nowhere. We've had these this wave of Black Series figures based on Star Wars publishing announced. Mac, have you seen these? Mm, no, I've not. So I think I part saw... of the 50th anniversary run for Lucasfilm, right? So Lucasfilm is doing a whole bunch of figures. These yeah. figures are available for pre-order now, $25 a piece, and each one comes in its own cool little box where the cover represents a piece of Star Wars publishing. So, mm-hmm. we have a Apprentice Darth Maul, and it's from the Darth Maul, let's see, that would have been a comic book, I think, uh, okay. from 99. Uh, we've got a Jackson figure. Yeah, you heard that right. We've got a Jackson figure. Just what my line was missing, uh-huh. a Green in, Rabbit Man. In a Star Wars Adventures box. So, from the current canon jackson stories not the previous legend jackson stories which is weird because so all of these other canon. figures are from legend stories even though they're canon characters mostly star so wars own bucky o'hare definitely <laughs> needed to be here so it's a bit odd we are getting a Kirkanos, kanos which for the first couple hey! days he was labeled as kane or jacks and then That's hasbro sweet. had to come out and be like oh yeah we messed up this is actually we made one figure but then put a different name and description of a different character on the box right which is weird because we'll totally sell you that figure eventually too Yes. Um, and that's really cool because it has a great Crimson Empire box that it comes in. It's beautiful. And the saddest part about it is, like, unless you really make the molds like what they are when they duel, like, yeah, it could be either or. They, yeah, they, totally. wear, the, they wear the Crimson Guard uniforms. They're so I mean, similar. Uh, and then there's the fourth one, which is the one that 
It's not the most interesting figure, but it's the one I want the most. It's the heir to the Empire, Luke Skywalker, and it comes mm. with the Zilmari figure. Oh. So remember the thing that uh, basically drains the Force powers of yep. anyone that's around it that Thrawn uses? Um, so it comes with one of those. A very kind of boring figure, you know, not including everything I would kind of want in this figure. It's just, you know, Luke in a black tank top, black but... pants and boots. But it's a beautiful, beautiful box. Now, I haven't ordered any of these yet. Uh, crazy, I know. Because <laughs> I'm on a bit of a sabbatical from buying Star Wars things right now. Well, they'll only uh, be more expensive later. I know, Mac, and I don't want to think <laughs> about it. And the fact that they're still available like three days later at list price, I'm like, ugh. <sighs> so then I got to like, well, maybe I'll just buy two, but then how do I pick which two? And then I'm like, would I even open them because they come in such cool boxes? And so I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I haven't bought any of them yet. Right now, I'm trying to save money for Star Wars Celebration. Yeah, man. And my basically thought process is, yeah, I may miss out on a few figures, but... If I can end up at Star Wars Celebration and have another hundred bucks to spend there, maybe it's worth it in the long run. Right. So, I don't know. I might order a couple. I want the Luke in the mall the most from, like, just character standpoint. Sure. But the Jackson figure, just as a figure, looks awesome. So, I really kind of want that. We'll just have to do cool Jackson figure. as a topic at some point. We will, but that I've means I'm going to have to read feelings <laughs> about Jackson. Yeah, I think a lot of people do. Um, so, I have to read those stories, but... Um, anyway, very, very cool kind of unique figures, part of the 50th anniversary line. And I think we talked about before, but they're doing a Jawa Greedo and an Obi-Wan in 50th anniversary blister packaging, you know, more like Which the bubble cute. on the card. And they're more in their like original outfits from the original Kenner figure. So Greedo's in his green outfit. The Jawa has a cloth cape, which we hadn't got before mm-hmm. because the original Jawa Black Series figures all hard plastic, whereas the Outer the World Jawa is in the cloth cape. So this is kind of a nice combination of the two. Based and a on... nice little tip of the hat to like the original yeah. figures. And well, stuff. but also funny enough too, not really because the original Jawa was in a vinyl cape, not a cloth cape. But anyway, I digress. It... That's uh, still, I would still say, that's a flexible material compo- compared yeah. to like molded capes. <laughs> that's very true. Um, so I do have those on order because those were before my decision to stop buying Star Wars things right now. <laughs> so I still have those on order. And I'm definitely, because the original Greedo is one of my favorite Black Series figures, period. So I know I'm going to keep that one. And I know I'll keep the Obi-Wan on order. So we'll see. But anyway, lots of great stuff out there. Um, the yeah. Mandalorian retro collection figures are up for pre-order mm-hmm. now everywhere, I think. And they're really cool. Um, so if you want your chance to get probably the last ever Cara Dune action figure, this will probably be it. Um, huh. Anything else in the world of Star Wars? No books, no public, you know, High Republic comics are still coming out, but uh, I'm not, I'm waiting for the trades. I'm not reading them. What about you? Where are you at? Have you been keeping up with High Republic comics? Um, I'm on issue two of like everything. I I haven't, I don't, I think issue threes are already out because I think all, no, I take that back. It, issue three of High Republic from Marvel, I think, is out. I think that's I the we only one like I haven't issue read. Nine. I feel like I see all these tweets all the time. Am I misremembering? No, I think it's Maybe only... they're just cover reveals. Maybe the I covers say, have been I, 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 I was going to say, I think it's just been monthly, and High okay. Republic from Marvel's been running since January, and then Adventures got started late February. Yeah. Uh, oh, we do have... This isn't right away, but we do have the uh, print version of the Dr. Aphra audiobook based on comics coming out soon. The comic book that became an audiobook that's now a book book. Yes, 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 that one. Gotcha. Well, it's a screenplay, right? Or it's a, you well, know, it's still it's, a book. A, yeah, it's it's in a book form. It's not a novel, but so it's So that a book. comes out soon. That's the next Star Wars thing we have coming out. Uh, let's see. Oh, my Dark Ray Black Series figure apparently arrives Ooh. tomorrow. 
So that's fun. Oh, I haven't seen the mold of that. Does she have like the teeth? Because that's all I remember with with her is like the like spiky teeth and her just going. (laughs) Everything I've seen, because some people do actually have it now. uh, She's got like a closed mouth. Oh. And more like a stare, like an evil stare. That's but she fine. does have a lightsaber that folds up. Because when she does the, just the, ho- the like the ah! yeah. thing, I, I just have to imagine Daisy is just having fun with that. I'm just excited I'll finally have a, another figure to pose my Ray figure with. Mm. Uh, for Because episode nine is like they made three figures and they're like, yeah, we're done. All I would want to do with that dark Ray is I just want to go get that and then the other Ray and then just put them at like a 45 angle degree of each other. Just like they're looking through the mirror at each other. Yeah, totally. Good stuff. Very exciting. All right. Well, I'm Mac, and I'm and I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday, may the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.